Do you have several versions of the Bible, several different translations of the Scripture? Uh, you know, it's really helpful to have that. Uh, I still love the King James Version, but I have a number of other translations as well. And sometimes when you're studying a particular text, it's real helpful to look at alternate translations. And maybe that will help in understanding. Uh, sometimes it gives just a little different shade of meaning. So... Different translations, different versions are helpful. In the text that Josh read for us just a few moments ago, I checked eight different versions, and here's a text in which they all read almost identically. Look at this text again. In 1 Timothy 6, beginning verse 6, But godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain, for though... Uh, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The phrase that I was really keying in on as I looked at those different translations was this one says, we can carry nothing out. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And that is the phrase that specifically was almost identical in all the different translations that, that I checked. In fact, we know that concept, don't we? And we have a saying. Our saying is, you can't take it with you, right? When you die, you can't take it with you. It's a great truth. And even ungodly and irreligious men recognize the truth of the statement. You can't take it with you. When you die, it's all over, and you can't take it with you. That's going to be the basis of our lesson this morning. We just need to be reminded of that. We want to make application of it in several realms of our lives. We stop for a minute to thank you for being here on this Lord's Day. So glad that you could come. Always grateful for all of our members who are present. It's just like a family gathering when we all get together and we enjoy seeing one another. We're also very grateful for our visitors. So glad you came our way. Uh, and we want to invite you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. And any questions you have about what we're doing as we assemble together to study, to worship, if you have any questions at all, please ask those questions and we'll do our very best to give a Bible answer. Thank you all for being here today. What about this idea, you can't take it with you? What did the Apostle Paul have in mind when he made that concept uh, there stated in 1 Timothy 6 in our text? Well, the text obviously is primarily talking about you can't take your wealth with you. When you look at that, when you look at that text that we're using as our basis this morning, it's very clear that that's what he had in mind. Material things, money, things money can buy. When you When you die... You can't take that with you. You know the old saying, the, the, the old story, you've heard it many times, a rich man died and, and the question was asked at his funeral, how much did he leave behind? And the answer was he left it all. He left every last penny of it because he couldn't take any with him. We know that this is true, right? But we, we, I think, excuse ourselves from such consideration because we're not like that really rich fellow who died and left everything behind. Uh, this is not really applicable to us, is it? And the answer is that it is. Notice here in the text that another important line was, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. 
This problem that Paul is describing here is not just for the world's very wealthy people. It's for everybody. It's even for the man who is penniless, but he has this deep desire and craving to be rich. In fact, uh, right here, the, the idea of those that will be rich, other translations there use the word to desire or to crave to be rich. And so you might be without a penny and yet still have the problem being described here of wanting the things, the material things this world has to offer. And we need to realize that putting all of our hope and trust in those things is so misguided because the fact of the matter is you can't take it with you. What are we supposed to do then? Well, later, just a few verses later in that same context, Paul says, charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Well, here's what we ought to do then, right? The rich of this world, by the way, we we got to include ourselves in that, right? We don't view ourselves as so. But in all the history of the world, we're among the richest people who ever lived. Us. We're not, we're not millionaires and billionaires, but we're very rich in comparison to those who've lived before us. We're very rich in comparison to most people who live in the world today. What are, what are those of us who are rich in this world? What do we do? Well, we can't trust in our riches, we've got to trust in God. And we've got to be busy using what God has blessed us with to do His will and to accomplish good. Use your wealth to do good in God's service. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus made a, a well-remembered statement, verse 15. He said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth, but then he went on to speak a parable. Do you remember what parable he told? Right after saying, beware of covetousness. Your life is not measured in how many things that you have, how much wealth you've accumulated. Do you remember the parable he taught right after that? It was the parable of the rich farmer. The rich farmer, you know, and his fields and his crops came in and he had, he had more than he could store up and he decided, I'll just tear down my barns and I'll big, build bigger barns so I can store more stuff. And I'll say, take thine ease, eat, drink. Be merry. Uh, and the Lord said, This night thy life shall be required. You remember that parable. Notice, at the end of it, God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, notice right here, Whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? When he died, whose would they be? Well, it wouldn't be his, right? It would be somebody else's. And that's going to be true for all of us as well. And we need to realize that. We need to, we need to understand that we need to be rich toward God and not, and not so compelled to accumulate earthly riches because you simply can't take those with you. Way back in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, uh, notice an almost identical statement there in Psalm 49, beginning verse 10. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. When he dieth, 
He shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. You see that? Again, almost exactly that same concept, isn't it? You can't take it with you. It's always been true. We know that. The fact of the matter is we're very aware of that principle. As I said earlier, even totally irreligious people accept that reality. You can't take it with you when you die. So we know it. We know it's true. But the problem is that we often fail to live by what we know to be true. And we let the desire for wealth crowd out far more important things in our lives, especially things that pertain to God and serving Him, just be reminded, you can't take it with you. But there's some other things that I want to apply this principle to, uh, because I think it fits. And, and one of the things that you can't take with you, is, one of the things that's going to end when you die, is your chance to instruct your family. You know, we have loved ones that are near and dear to us. Especially our, our children and our grandchildren are so special to us. And we want good things to happen for them. And we're very interested that t- things turn out well for them. We should want to teach them godly values. Really, more than anything else, we should want to instill godly values uh, in our family uh, and and to realize that actually there's a pretty narrow window of opportunity to be able to do that. I'll take you to another of the stories that Jesus told. Some people say this is a parable. Many think that it was probably a, a real-life incident. Uh, it doesn't really matter because the truth taught is the same. The rich man and Lazarus, we know it well. In Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus, we know this story. Whenever I read this word sumptuously, he fared sumptuously every day. I, I, I always remember years ago, somebody was reading this text at the start of the sermon, and they came across that he, he was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared scrumptiously every day, the fellow said. Well, I think that's probably right. It probably was scrumptious. He had it all. He had everything. And Lazarus was a beggar, and he had nothing, just begging for the crumbs. You know how the story goes. They both died. They ended up in Hades, the place where spirits go when they depart the body to await the final resurrection. But in Hades, there are two places. There's a place of comfort. It's called Abraham's bosom, paradise. And Lazarus went there. The rich man, on the other hand, who had not lived for God, but only for the things that he had in this world, went to a place of torment. And there's a conversational exchange between Abraham and this this rich man who was suffering in torment. And Abraham said, we can't come down there to you. You can't come up here to us. There's a great gulf fixed between. We can't pass over. And so when when the rich man realized that his fate was determined, what he asked was, he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So when he realized that nothing could be done for him in the horrible condition that he was in for eternity, he wanted Lazarus to be sent back, do something to keep my brethren from coming here. I have five brothers. I don't want them to come here. And, of course, Abraham told him that wouldn't happen either. But think of this. 
that fellow, one of the elements of the torment that he was in was the knowledge that he had family still living who were destined to the same outcome and, and he hadn't done anything to prevent that and now couldn't do anything to prevent that. He was dead. He couldn't tell them to do differently so they could avoid this horrible torment. What about us? Will we wait too long to instruct our loved ones? Wait so long that now we've passed on. We've died. We can't take with us that opportunity to teach them anymore. It can't be done. Would part of the torment of being in a place like that rich man was in, would part of the torment be the knowledge of the fact that we had squandered our opportunities to influence even those nearest and dearest to us? All of us need to be thinking about our family, our loved ones, and thinking about the chance to teach and instruct them because the time's coming when we won't have opportunity to do that anymore. I'll tell you something else that's going to end when we die, and that's going to be our influence and our reputation. Uh, we're putting a little different twist on this. You know, you think when you die, your influence is over, your reputation is complete, right? And that is true. It's not, it's not going to change, but the fact of the matter is that some element of your influence and your reputation is going to linger even after you're gone. That's the point we're stressing here. And so you, you, you won't take it with you. You'll leave behind your influence and reputation, whether it was for good or for bad. You're going to leave it behind. You won't take it with you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, in that chapter of, of Hebrews, where it talks about great characters of faith through the Old Testament, one of those, the first of those that's mentioned is the man Abel. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, by faith Abel, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, notice, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Uh, Abel has been dead for, for, for thousands of years now, and yet we still remember his example and his influence and his reputation is left behind. I'm not saying that we'll be remembered like Abel is remembered. And, of course, the reason why Abel is, is remembered is because he's in the pages of inspired Scripture. And that won't be the case with us. But the fact of the matter is, some will remember us. Some people will recall our influence, our reputation. If it was a good one, they may be spurred on by it. If it was a bad one, they may be adversely affected by what we have left behind. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. We ought to see our influence and our reputation as something precious and to be protected because when we're dead, that's what people will recall. We're not going to take it with us. That will be left and it won't be changed after we're dead and gone. Think about this for a minute. Here's a little challenge to you. Think of people that you really remember. People that are now dead that you knew that stand out in your mind, and you, you think of them fairly often, you recall them. Is it the richest people you ever knew? Are those the people you remember? Or is it the people who lived the most godly lives? Are those the ones you remember? Isn't it the latter? Isn't it, aren't we really remembering the people that we believe lived good lives for God? Those are the ones, and that's why this good name is to be chosen. Either way, we're going to leave our influence and our reputation behind for people to think about.
something else that will end when they put our casket in the hearse is missed opportunities. We talked somewhat about this already at point two, the, the opportunity to influence our our own families. But uh, expand that just a little bit. And let me suggest to you that there are all manners of opportunities to do good in this world. We're, we're surrounded, really, by opportunities to, good, to do good. But we're going to leave those behind when we die. Now's the time to be doing them. There won't be any doing of it later. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Unfortunately, this verse has become, uh, has been for decades a battleground over whether or not we can, how we can spend money. Our own money, the money comes from the church treasury. It's an important verse in that discussion for sure. But it's, it's to me somewhat unfortunate we have relegated this verse to talk about how we spend money. Because really, it doesn't limit itself to that, right? We can use our money to do good, but there's all other kinds of good. And as we have opportunity, let us do good, it says. And that's what we ought to be doing. Are you using these opportunities to do good now? Again, I I want to suggest to you that if we are perceptive, we are absolutely surrounded by opportunities to do good for lots of people. This verse suggests we ought to have a special emphasis on doing good for our brethren, but it's not limited to that, right? As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. What will it be like at your funeral when people think about you when you have died? In the book of Acts, chapter 9, we read about Peter basically going to a funeral. There was a woman uh, there named Dorcas who had died. And it says when Peter went with them, he was, and when he was come, they brought him into an upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Dorcas was well remembered for her good deeds, for the good that she had done. What will it be like at your funeral and at mine? Will people remember that we pursued those opportunities to do good while we could? Uh, for, for Dorcas, it was too late, but she'd left behind a legacy of doing good. What about us? Uh, will it be that way for us? Of course, one of the most important things that we can do is to share the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ with others. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Are we apt to teach? We have an aptitude, we have an ability, and we use that ability to teach others. Are we using that opportunity now? We talked earlier about reaching out to our own loved ones and our family, but there's a lot more people out there who need us doing what we can while we can in sharing the gospel message. Are we doing it? Another thing that's going to end, an opportunity that will end when we die, is the opportunity to grow spiritually and be more the person that God wants us to be. Second Peter 3.18 tells us, instructs us, commands us, grow in the knowledge, the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's something else. Here's, here's another situation in which we are surrounded by opportunities to grow spiritually. Are you availing yourself of the opportunities uh, that are there? Even opportunities here in the, in the work of the local church. When we think of our assemblies, when we think of our organized periods of Bible study, 
those are just some simple opportunities that you need to avail yourself of. But there are plenty of other opportunities to grow, uh, to become more what God wants you to be. Are you using your opportunities? Because the, those opportunities are going to be gone when you die. Let me suggest you yet another parable of Jesus. This one from Matthew 25. You know it well, the parable of the talents. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is... Uh, as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. Lots of sermons have been preached on this text, but you certainly agree that not all of them had the same ability. And so the master assigned to each of them according to their ability. They weren't expected to do more than they could, but they were expected to do what they could and, of course, the one-talent man did not. And the parable ends in verse 30. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will that be what happens to me in the end? Because I had some ability that God gave me to use, and I didn't use it. And I didn't take advantage of my opportunities. And I squandered all that time that I could have been working for Him. And I didn't. And I left all those opportunities unfinished and undone when I died and then went to judgment and in the end, weeping and gnashing of teeth because I didn't use my abilities to serve God. Will that be what happens? We can't let that happen, right? Know that there are opportunities to use. We need to be using them now. And then finally, and ultimately most importantly, when we're dead and gone, when they've, when they've put our casket in the hearse and they're taking us to the graveyard, can't take it with you. One of the things you can't take, the ultimate thing you can't take, is your chance to obey God. This is really the main thing. Nothing else will really matter. Go back through the list a minute. I, I want to stress this idea. Nothing else will really matter when we die. What about your wealth? We already said you're going to leave that to somebody else. It's not going to be yours, right? And you may have been a really rich person. There have been lots of really rich people in this world, and they died. They left everything behind. But you know, the fact of the matter is, we don't remember them very much. We remember a few really wealthy people maybe who've lived, but most of the really wealthy people who've died and left everything behind, we don't even know who they were. They're dead. They're gone. What about your family? As we've pointed out before, sad to say, even your own family will pretty soon begin to forget about you. Remember that test that I've posed to you in the past? Can you name your grandparents? Probably. you got four grandparents. Can you name your great-grandparents? Not likely. You've got eight of those. And if we went around the room this morning, I've got serious doubts that anybody could here could name all eight of your great-grandparents. The only people who can do that these days are people who've done all these, you know, ancestry uh projects online. And I don't, I, in visiting with you all, I don't know that any of you have engaged in that. Uh, I certainly haven't. I can't name my great-grandparents, can you? What's that tell you? Well, that's three generations back. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, three generations ago. You, you can't remember your own family. I can't remember my own family three generations back. So, three generations forward you're going to find a generation that probably won't remember you. My kids, my grandkids, my great-grandchildren probably won't remember me, right? Isn't that what we're learning from history? So, 
You're going to leave your wealth behind, but also even your own family will soon forget you. Your influence and reputation, although we said you're going to leave your influence and reputation, that will begin to wane over time. Because people not only, if, if people are going to forget you, they're certainly going to forget anything you did. They're going to forget your influence and your reputation. Whatever good you did or failed to do here on earth while you were living, that's going to be forgotten eventually. But right here, this is the one thing that really matters, and that is your chance to obey God, to do His will in your life. It's really the question about where are you going to spend eternity. You're not going to stay here for very long. You're only going to be here for a very relatively short period of time. Where are you going to spend eternity? That's the big question. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive, notice, the things done in his body. According to that, he had done, whether it be good or bad. You're going to be judged upon what you've done in your body. What's implied by that? If you're going to be judged based upon what you've done in your body, that's while you were alive, right? You're going to be judged based upon what you've done while you're alive. When you're dead, it's over. Your judgment fate is sealed. Now's the time to be obeying God. We just last week concluded our study of Revelation, and we were reading there in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, about the judgment scene. In Revelation 20, beginning verse 11, I saw, the great, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. But notice, what was written in the books, what they had done, that's what they were going to be judged about. Well, we're going to be there. We're going to be there in that judgment. All, all those on the earth, uh, the, the dead, small and great, are going to stand before God. That's us too, right? We're going to be there. And we're going to be judged based upon what's written in the books. What's written. What's already down there. What has already been recorded about our lives. What's written in the book about you? When those books are opened, what will be said about you? Because it's going to be there. You're going to be there, and your record is going to be there. And now's the time to be filling out that record in positive obedience to God. In Romans chapter 14, verse 11, it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every knee will bow. Everyone will confess. The sad thing is that for many, it will be too late at that judgment scene. And so you can't take it with you. You can't take with you chances to obey God. Now you have them, and now is the time to use them. Is your life right with God? You can't take it with you. That's a very common expression. Everybody uses it, right? We know that's so. But it ought to cause us to stop and think. And realizing it is so, it ought to cause us to live the right way. Are you right with God this morning? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've not done that, if you understand the truth, if you're ready to obey, we'd love to assist in your obedience today. We'd also be glad to sit down and study more with you if you need that. If you're a Christian, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, you need to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.